on May the 5th, 2020 uh, of this year, the Star Wars franchise celebrated the 40th anniversary of possibly the greatest of all the Star Wars movies, Empire Strikes Back. Um, I would argue that Rogue One might be a little better, but besides that, when Empire Strikes Back is definitely high on the list. If you've never seen this movie, you're obviously not living. Uh, You should um, go back and watch it. It definitely makes you feel old to think that that movie is 40 years old this year. One of the unique things about The Empire Strikes Back is that as you watch this movie, uh, on the tail end of uh, A New Hope, you find out that um, The Empire Strikes Back, everything starts off really good, and you know you expect there to be some type of twist in the movie or some type of something bad that happens, so that by the end of the movie, everything will be just fine. Uh, The good guys will win in the end. But the one thing that's unique about the Empire Strikes Back is that they lose throughout the entire movie. They never have a time when things seem to be going their way. Um, Now, if you have seen the saga, all 1800 movies that they've put out there, you know that in the end, the good guys win You know in the end it was all for a purpose. But in this movie particularly, things go from good to bad to worse. And they have these mountaintop experiences. And this movie is pretty much a valley throughout the entire movie. That's kind of where we're at right here. We're about to start down a slippery slope in the book of Esther where things start to just kind of unravel. And we're going to see that even though those things start to happen, that we're going to see God's in control. God's uh, providential hand is still in every single step along the way. And it doesn't matter um, how long you have been alive on planet Earth. You know that in this life we all have mountaintop experiences. We all experience the valley, the lowest lows that we can experience We have times of great joy. We have times of great sorrow. The difference between us and the rest of the world is that uh, we have hope uh, through Jesus. Uh, Other people look at these situations and they think, what have I done to cause these things? But we realize that things happen for a reason. That's why in Hebrews it says this, chapter 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded... By such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which closely, or which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to or fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, we look to Jesus through all of these types of avenues in life, through the mountaintops, through the valleys. And in the text today, we're going to look at a character by the name of Mordecai. And Mordecai is going to fix his eyes on God. And he's going to seek to honor him in whatever happens in his life. Regardless of what happens, he's going to say, I'm going to remain faithful to God. And so with that... 
leads us to our big idea tonight. Doing what is right may lead to being in circumstances that feel wrong. But we can trust that God is working all things for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for this story that we're going to look at tonight. I pray that as we look at Mordecai and his willingness to take a stand when other people did not. For his willingness to trust you in all circumstances and not the powers that be. Father, I pray that it would be a great example to us. And Father, as we look at his example, I pray that you would give us a boldness uh, to stand for you, a boldness to live for you all the days of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. In this context, uh, where we're at in the passage, we know that uh, last week we talked about Esther becoming queen. Um, You could say that this was a very good mountaintop experience for them. They're on on a high moment. She's the queen. It sounds like there's blessings all around from her being queen. And so as we get into this part of the story, we're going to call this section an unfair promotion. An unfair promotion. Uh, starting in chapter 2, verse 18, let's, let's start reading. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted the remission of taxes to the providences and gave gifts of royal generosity. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred of of her her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told it to the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair had, uh, was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So Esther is queen, and because of her title, um, she's become a blessing to the nation. We see that the king is granted tax relief. He's in a, a very good mood. And it's amazing how that happens throughout Scripture. We see it, and I will mention Joseph and Daniel a ton throughout this book because there's so many comparisons where God takes a leader, places them under a foreign rule, and gives them influence over that foreign rule, so much so that he will bless the entire nation because of that. And so these men, as well as Mordecai, as well as Esther, they're going to be faithful to God. In the most difficult of circumstances, they remained faithful to God through them all. And blessing came to the people because of their faithfulness. And the same thing is going to happen here in Esther. Mordecai's at the gate. Their scholars debate whether or not he's working at the gate, whether or not he's just coming to check on Esther. Regardless of whatever reason he's there, he is... Uh, he overhears this conversation of these two guys plotting harm against the king. And I want you to think about this situation. Put yourself in Mordecai's shoes for just a second. 
Esther is practically your daughter. And you have this wicked pagan king who just, he kills people uh, as he sees fit. He holds a beauty, a quote unquote beauty pageant of all these virgins to find his next wife. And if you're Mordecai, you could be thinking, you know what, this is perfect. These guys are about to do harm to the king. If they end up taking him out, it takes care of that problem. Um, But we're going to see Mordecai look at this situation and think, you know, I need to do the right thing. He's going to seek to do the right thing in this moment. And he's going to give a heads up to the king through Esther. Which brings us to our first point. Given the opportunity, we should do good to all people. It's exactly what Galatians 6.10 tells us. And he tells Esther. Esther, in return, goes to the king and says, listen, my uncle Mordecai has told me, my cousin Mordecai has told me about these things. And they're plotting against you. And the king's going to investigate it and find it to be true. Now, in this moment, you could look at that and they've uncovered this plot and you could think, man, this things could not be going any better for us. You know, first you become queen. Now we unfold this plot. You've told the king it was me that unfolded it. And man, surely good things are going to happen from this, but it's going to get worse. Uh, it's going to get way worse. Isn't that kind of the way it works? Everything seems to kind of be going our way in life. And you get a phone call. Maybe things seem to be going really smooth. And then you hit this wall of something that comes up and something happens. And it's just, it's a turn for the worse. That leads us to our next point. Sometimes others may profit from an unfair promotion. Let's continue reading. Chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down and did not pay homage. You know, this really doesn't make a whole lot of sense in this story, in this moment. As you read it, you're like, wait a minute. Mordecai just did these things for the king, and yet Haman is promoted. Um, Haman didn't have anything to do with saving the king. Um, He hadn't really done anything. Maybe Haman was just a really good smooth talker, and he was telling the king exactly what he wanted to hear. And yet Haman is the one that gets promoted, and maybe Mordecai... In some way, shape, or form, if you look at this story, you can think, man, he's being overlooked for this promotion, for what he's done, maybe. Um, He doesn't get recognized. He doesn't get a thank you. They're like, hey, we're going to write this story down. And that's it. No thank you, no promotion. Um, But then I asked myself, well, why should he be recognized? He was doing his job. I mean, if he really was working at the gate... He was doing his job. He was taking care of the king. He was doing what he was supposed to do. Why should you get recognized for doing your job? But as we're going to see later in the book, 
The king will remember who saves his life. The king will give a reward for who saves his life. He will get recognized in that. It wasn't Mordecai's fault. He was only doing his job and he was doing what was right. Not expecting a promotion. Not expecting anything. He was going about his, doing what was right. Doing good to all people. Which leads to the next thing. Doing what is right may come without immediate recognition or reward. Only one explanation could be uh, we can think of that you would have for saving someone's life and not getting any recognition for that, and that would be God. God has chosen to delay the blessing because it's in the best interest of what God has planned, what God's purposes are. I don't know about you, but this I think this would have made me a little jealous. Um, Landon spoke uh, a little bit about envy. Maybe he has a little bit of envy going on. Um, God is not only allowed to bring blessings into our life in his time. Sometimes I think he allows disappointment to come into our lives for a season as well. Let me give you a, a real life example. In 2005-2006, the youth pastor at Emmanuel decided to move to another church. I happened to be the associate youth pastor. I put in for the job. I didn't get the job. They gave it to someone else. And Corey was filled with a lot of frustration. I would even go so far as to say I was filled with a lot of anger. Uh, Why would God do this? Uh, why would God put me in this position only to, you know, remove me from this position? I don't get it. So I was filled with some anger. Now, if you were to look at, if I were to take a video of my life and forward to 2020 and look at where I am, I would go, oh, that's what you were doing, God. But in the moment, you're only focused on yourself. And you're only focused on your feelings. Uh, I started attending another church. In that church, I started, uh, I had met some really awesome friends. Friends that will be my friends through a lifetime. Through that situation and the friendships that I made at that church. Ended up, uh, long story short, uh, to me meeting my wife. I would not have met my wife had I not been at that church in that moment. Now, she wasn't even going to that church. But if you want to know the whole set of story, I can tell you later. It's a long story. It ended up me going back to school and getting my degree. That's a good thing, right? I'm going to tell you the most, one of the most important things that God taught me in that time was that he taught me to appreciate the things that he had given me. He taught me to depend on him and not just what was around me. He taught me a lot in that time. Um, And through that situation, I grew closer to God. I found my wife. I have some lifelong friendships that I made. I served at a different church in town where I have some incredible friends. Uh, And so through that time, even through my disappointment, even through my frustration, God had a plan. He was teaching me every step of the way. And guess what? It was for my good, and it was for his glory. 
I could not have told you it was for my good or his glory in 2005. I would have thought, no, that's not even. And also, you know, he saved me from a lot of heartache from things that I missed. Some things that I would have been right in the middle of if I had stayed. And so God was protecting me every step of the way. So here's my reality check. This is for me, but it goes right to y'all as well. So reality check. Number one, you and I are not the center of the universe. God is. And for this reason, he thinks uh, that what is best for his purposes, even if it brings frustration in the moment, is the best thing for him to do. He's not concerned with your feelings. He does what's best for him. He does what his purposes are set out to do. He doesn't make decisions based on our comfort or our discomfort. Number two, he makes decisions based on his will and purposes in the world. God is always just. God, he doesn't always seem fair. Let me explain what I mean. Jesus hanging on the cross. When you look at that situation, it's the most beautiful picture of justice you will ever see. God's wrath being paid for. It wasn't really fair. Jesus lived a life that we couldn't live, sinless. He died a death that we deserved for our sins. It's the greatest demonstration of justice. In this situation that Mordecai is facing um, is not fair. But here's the deal. Last point. God's purposes are more than Mordecai, is more important than our pleasure or pain, or even Mordecai's pleasure or pain. This is a very hard principle for us to learn. Some pain happens because we live in a fallen and sinful world. Uh, sometimes we make very foolish, very stupid decisions and we bring it upon ourselves. Um, but sometimes pain is caused by God for his purposes. And we need to understand that. But we must always remember that God is sovereign. And no matter how pain enters our life, if God allows us, he wants to use it for his perfect plan. We are not the sinner God is. And we should not in any way be surprised when the world doesn't thank us. And it shouldn't discourage us when it doesn't come. Now, I want to be clear. God, uh, we have great value to God. So much so that he sent his son to die in our place. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall, should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. My name is not above every name. Your name is not above every name. It's, deserved, it's reserved for one person and one person only, and that's Jesus. And he is Lord. And what happens in my life should bring about uh, him honor and him glory for his purposes. And we should be willing to accept anything that comes our way. Whether that comes in the form of great re reward or great disappointment. It's for his plan and his purpose. That's where we need to really talk about whose purposes are we serving today. Whose purposes are we serving today? If the world must revolve around you, we are, we're going to be set up for a lot of discouragement in life. 
If the world does revolve around you, life is going to be very difficult. And it's going to be full of, full of a lot of heartache. If you're serving the purposes of God, then we have hope. Because His plans never fail. God always does what He wants to do. And this should give us great hope in how we live our lives. So, whose purposes are you serving? Here's a few things to lock down. First of all, you must believe that God is in control. Do you believe that? Life isn't just chance. Things happen for a reason. There is someone who is in control. And the Bible tells us God is. Psalm twenty two twenty eight. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. It's very, very easy to believe that when life is going well. It's a lot harder when things seem to be falling apart. But we need to believe that God is in control. Number two, we must believe that God's purposes are best. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. How do we know? We look to the cross. If we ever begin to doubt, if we ever be, start feeling um, like we don't believe that, all we need to do is look at the cross. All we need to do is look to Jesus. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved. And because of that, we get to spend eternity with the Father. You may not see it, but God's purposes are best. We're reminded of that in Romans uh, 828. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I hope you placed your trust in Jesus. I hope your hope is in him. Because with that reality, uh, he may bring uh, whatever he may bring into our lives. Um, We should submit to Him knowing that His purposes are best for us. Blessing is coming someday. And for Mordecai, it's not coming right now. It's coming down the road. And ultimately, blessing is coming someday in eternity. may not come immediately, but it is coming. Mordecai is going to get a blessing. But it's not going to be today. So, we have the unfair promotion And I think some of us feel that way sometimes, that we've been dealt a bad hand. Things don't seem to be going our way. But the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do we believe that God's in control? And do we believe that he has his best interest in our lives in mind? Which leads to Mordecai's unwavering stand. Let's continue reading in verse 2. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. It's the king's command that everyone should bow down. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why did you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's word would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. When you initially look at this text, 
You could make the argument that Mordecai was upset with Haman because he got promoted and he didn't. Um, There's been a lot of speculation uh, as to why Haman would not bow down to this foreigner. Uh, Let's be serious. The king commanded it. Everyone else was doing it. Why wouldn't he? He alone was refusing to bow. Why? Uh, A few thoughts uh, that scholars uh, throw out there as examples that were not true. Um, He wouldn't bow down to any human being, only to God. We know that's not true because Mordecai is very easily going to bow down before the king, as well as Esther bows down to the king. Uh, So that's really not uh, too much of a thought. Another one is he's jealous that he didn't get recognized for saving the king's life. Maybe this is all Haman's doing. He's like, I'm not bowing down to you because you got promoted. I didn't, and I just don't want to talk about it. I'm full of, I'm full of envy, and I don't want to mess with it. Uh, maybe he was envious. Maybe he has become bitter, and he's taking it out on Haman. Um, I don't think that's what's going on here. As a matter of fact, I know that's not what's going on here. Let's see what's going on. Uh, here's your blank. Haman is an Amalekite. In verse 1, or an Agagite. He's a descendant of Agag. Um, You remember who they are? If you look back, uh, we will see that the Amalekites fight with God's people. Moses is leading God's people out of Egypt. He's going to have this battle with them. Uh, They start attacking God's people at their weakest. And there's this huge battle in which we see Moses, when he's lifting up his arms, they are winning the battle. When his arms start to fall, they're losing the battle. So he has Aaron and her holding up his arms. And they win the battle. And it's in that state where things... Here's what's said. Deuteronomy 25. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off, from, uh, cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you and he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land of the Lord your God is giving you to, uh, as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget. So, God does not like the Amalekites. And um, in this moment... We're going to see God make a promise. I'm going to wipe them out. Later on, we're going to see King Saul. King Saul is going to get into a battle with the Amalekites. God is going to tell Saul, I want you to wipe them out. All of them. Kill them. Is Saul going to obey? No. And he even lets some live, including the king, uh, Agag. And this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, When we talked about heroes... Uh, from the Old Testament, uh, I got the, a week on Samuel. And one of my favorite stories about Samuel is King Agag is walking around uh, acting like nothing is going on. And Samuel looks at the situation and goes, I can't have this. So he literally takes his sword and hacks King Agag to pieces. Uh, yeah, I like that story. I don't know why if you bet. Um, it's a really fun one to teach to teenagers on a Wednesday night, I promise you. Here's the deal. I don't think Mordecai would bow down to Haman uh, because he was an Amalekite. 
And he looks at him, and Mordecai, uh, Mordecai is a Benjamite. And he looks at him and he says, you know what, Haman, you're an enemy of God. And I'm not bowing down to you. You are God's enemy, which means you are my enemy. And he takes a stand in this moment and he says, I'm not bowing down to you. We may be over Persian rule, but I remember who you are and who your people are, and I'm not bowing down. If we want to be used by God in the world that we live in, we are going to have to take some difficult stands on some difficult issues that we face. Um, Landon has us as a staff reading a book called The Gathering Storm by Albert Moeller. Um, some of the things that it talks about in this book, and I just encourage you to read it if you have some spare time, um, are very controversial issues when it comes to our culture today. They're not controversial in the Bible. They're very, very black and white. And I think moving forward as the church, we're going to have to take some stands that are going to be detrimental to us moving forward. But the question is, will we take that stand? Will we stand when others around us bow? Will we take a stand for God, even if it means harm? Because here's the deal. Him saying to them, I'm a Jew, puts his life in danger, puts Esther's life in danger, and it puts his whole, all of his countrymen in danger. And as we're going to see moving forward, it's really going to put all their lives in danger. So what does this require of us? Without going too far into the story, going too forward in the story, what does this require of us? Number one, being obedient. We have to obey. This word in Greek literally means to hear a word and to put yourself under it. I love how James uh, 1.22 says it. I love how the NIV says it more than the ESV. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. It's not enough just to read the word. You have to do what it says. We have to be people of the book. I think Mordecai was a man of the book. I mean... God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, but you know what? I think he had a relationship with God, and I think he walked with God. That's why he took this stand in this moment. And if we are going to be used by God, we have to obey, especially when it's hard. If King Saul had obeyed to begin with, Mordecai wouldn't be in this spot, but he is. We have to be people who obey. Number two, we have to be bold, being bold. Mordecai's not bowing. And that is bold. And he tells him, I'm not bowing to you because I'm a Jew. He's putting his life at risk, Esther's life at risk, all the people's life at risk. How do we know that? How do we know that Mordecai was a man of the book? He's not mentioned in the book. The boldest people are most oftentimes the closest to God. You want to see someone who's close to God as you watch their walk. Do they, make, do they take a stand? Are they bold in their faith? If you're always concerned what everyone else thinks, you're probably not very good at being bold and taking a stand for difficult issues. Um, one of the writers of the books that I read this week said this quote, uh, so I'm going to quote it, and I don't know who it was, and I looked back to find it, and I couldn't find it, but God doesn't need us to be his instrument of judgment. Um, the goal uh, is, to, is not to win. The goal is to be a witness. And this is about being self-controlled. This is your third blank, being self-controlled. I love this about Mordecai. 
He's going to let God be God. He doesn't plot to kill the king. Um, He doesn't hold a sign to protest. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He just says, I'm not going to bow down to you. I think sometimes we as Americans, um, we feel like we need to take matters into our own hands. We are people of action. Let's do something about it. And we need to take matters into our own hands. And maybe we need to carry out justice for God. But like I said, he doesn't need to be, he doesn't need us to be his instruments of judgment. The goal is not to win. The goal is to be a witness. And when you look throughout uh, the history of those people who took a stand for God and, you know, uh, took a bold stance for God, they just let God be God. And they said, let what happened happen. Uh, Romans 12 says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all, peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We need to let God be God. He's better at it than we are, I promise you. So um, the immediate consequence for Mordecai taking the stand is going to be bad. And not just bad, it's going to get worse. If you know the history of Martin Luther, we'll end with this. This is a good quote from Martin Luther. and uh, He did the 95 Theses on the door. And he's taking a stand for biblical truth. And all of these leaders um, throughout the churches will bring him together and they say, you must recant on what you said. And if you do not recant, there's going to be action taken against you. And so he goes back to his room that night and he takes what he had wrote and he lines it up with scripture and he looks over it and he says, he comes up with this. And the next day he goes in and he says this. He says, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. You know, I think that should be our stand today. When we think about our lives in 2020, In the United States of America, with all the things that we face day in and day out, that's what we need to do. This is where I stand. This is the truth. Uh, Do with me as you wish. I stand with God. And I hope that we have the courage and the boldness to do that. So let's pray as we end tonight.